0: I would that you turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. And we're going to look at the first three verses of Matthew chapter 8. And here's how it reads. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, Large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him, said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. He says, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And for a few moments here today, my brothers and sisters, I want to talk to you from this subject and from this wise, the willingness of God, the willingness of God. We know that God is able. Second Corinthians nine and eight says God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. We know that God is able because of Hebrews 7 and 25. Therefore, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. We know that our God is able because of Jude uh, 1 and 24, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. We know that our God is able, but do we have the same assurance and the same conviction that our God is willing? There is a big difference between being able and being willing. Some of you work with some very smart people and very capable individuals. They know what to do. They know how to do but they'll sit on their loins and let you do all the work. Able, but unwilling. We just endured two long years of the pandemic where ministry, as we knew it, came to a grinding halt. And you think by now that people would be ready to run this race for the Lord. Churches all across America filled with gifted people, gifts of service, gifts. Of administration, gifts of teaching, gifts of evangelism. But instead of the church soaring, many are sitting idly by while the world is waiting on something real. Able, but unwilling. And I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful that I serve a God who doesn't act like some of us. I'm grateful that I serve a God who is both able and he's willing. (laughs) Though our point of preaching today, brothers and sisters is in Matthew chapter eight, uh, with Jesus descending from the mountain. Our story really begins in chapter five with him ascending up the mountain. You know, I really don't like preaching from the middle of the passage. Um, Because oftentimes when we preach from the middle of a passage, we don't give the proper context. And I heard a minister say one time, and so eloquently, a text without context is nothing but a con. So let's give proper context to the text. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to look at the first two verses. And here's how it reads in the NIV. Now, Jesus saw the crowds. He went up the mountainside, sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Um, In 1995, I was a junior in high school. Um, My parents afforded me this trip to go to Israel. And I took this trip to Israel at too young of an age because I honestly did not get all that I needed to get uh, from this trip. I couldn't really appreciate it at that young age, even though I appreciated it some. And out of all the things that that we saw and and, uh, witnessed, there are some things that I will never forget. One of which is that our tour guide, who was an Israeli, took us up a mountainside. And when he got to a certain point up the mountain, he paused, he stopped us, and he said, guys, have you ever wondered how Jesus was able to preach to the masses, thousands of people, without a megaphone? <laughs> That's a good question. And, of course, the spiritual side of us want to say, well, he's God. He can magnify his voice all he wanted to. But the tour guide helped us to understand that he didn't use some magnificent feet to reach the people. He just strategically placed himself on a mountainside so that when he spoke, his voice would project and all of the people would hear. (laughs) And though that does happen, and though Jesus did use the mountaintop to project his voice, that's not the case in this particular text. Look at it with me again. Jesus goes up the mountain, and those who wanted more than just a meal and a thrill came along with him. (laughs) Jesus goes up the mountain. He looks at the crowd. The crowd stays where they are, where they are. He goes up the mountain, positions himself, and sits down, and the Bible says that his disciples came to him, and he taught them emphasis on them. Here's a spiritual life lesson for you. I hope you're ready for it. Sometimes you've got to do more than the mundane to meet with the master. Sometimes brothers and sisters, we've got to fight to get close to God. You got to fight through being tired you got to fight the enemy of your flesh. you got to fight the enemy of your mind. you got to fight the enemy of distractions. You've got to fight the enemy of evil intentions, understanding that God's desire is only to take you higher. And while I've got your attention, let me drop this into your spirit. God isn't interested in fans. He's interested in followers. And I'm afraid, my brothers and sisters, that in the eyes of God, too many of us look like fans instead of followers. You see, a fan is an admirer. A fan is an enthusiast. A fan is committed as long as they're satisfied with the end product. Fans make emotional decisions, but fans don't have true fellowship. But a follower is one who will adjust his or her schedule to meet with God. A follower falls at the feet of Jesus. A follower looks for opportunities to make major impact. Followers don't flee the faith when the enemy attacks because true followers understand this truth in 1 John 4 and 4. Greater is he that is within me than he that is within the world. Followers boldly declare like Jacob, I ain't going to let you go until you bless me. True followers. But unfortunately, there are groups among us and perhaps even in this room who are simply satisfied being saved. You've got your salvation ticket and you're happy right where you are. But then there are those of us in the house who, like Mary, would do anything and everything to sit at the Savior's feet. And the question on the floor is, are you satisfied where you are, or do you want God to elevate your experience? There are two fundamental questions I share with groups all the time that we've got to satisfy when we meet the Savior. Two fundamental questions. Question number one, do you know me? And question number two, what have you done for me? We've got to satisfy those two questions when we meet the Savior. Write this down. God is willing to teach. God is willing to teach. When disciples made it to Jesus, he began to teach them. And he starts with what we know as the Beatitudes, which is a series of statements that begin with the Latin words that I'm going to have Jason put on the screen for me. So I I, I ran across that word, and um, I I discovered that it it was indeed in, in Latin. True story. And I said, well... How do you pronounce this word? I don't want to get too fancy with it. I just want to, what's the correct pronunciation of this word? So I thought to myself, I said, hmm, medical doctors have to take some form of Latin because MDs write prescriptions. So it it just dawned on me, find a medical doctor. And so I I put up my phone, and and, and the one person I thought about was Dr. Scott Patton. I called Dr. Scott, I say, Scott, I say, well, I text him, I say, Scott, I say, um, um, I I got this word here in Latin, and I say, I I know that you're a medical doctor, and I know you write prescriptions, and and this is in in Latin. I don't know what this word means. I don't know how how to pronounce it. Can you help me out? Scott replies and says, man, I don't know. I I can't even speak English good. (laughs) But thank God he was able to help me navigate through it. But this word is pronounced B-D-S-U-N-T, B-D-S-U-N-T. It is Latin, which means blessed are, blessed are, the Beatitudes. So Jesus begins his teaching by sharing who's considered blessed and what it means to be blessed. And the Beatitudes, brothers and sisters, are expressions of praise and congratulations. Never thought about that before. God says to us, congratulations when you are poor in spirit or humble. He says, congratulations when you're meek. Congratulations when you are hungry and thirsting for righteousness. Congratulations when you're merciful, when you're pure in heart, which speaks to your motive. Congratulations when you are considered a peacemaker or when you are persecuted for righteousness. God says congratulations and be blessed because you are a believer who is in tune with his word. The Beatitudes. Um. It really bothers me when people, Christian or otherwise, tell us how blessed they are doing things that God never said he blessed. And just because you found some modicum of worldly success doesn't mean that what you're doing has God's endorsement. In chapters 5 through 7, Jesus pours into the lives of his disciples, teaching and training them and us how we must conduct ourselves as well as asserting his authority over the scripture. Jesus tells us that he expects more from us than what the law even implied. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 verse 21 and, 22, and look at what it says, Matthew 5, 21 and 22. Jesus says, you heard it said, you heard it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And drop down to verse 27. And look at how it reads. It says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus asserts his authority over the scripture. In chapter 6, he teaches on prayer He teaches on fasting, he teaches about the treasures in heaven, and he teaches on worry. When you get down to chapter 7, he teaches on judging others, he talks about distinguishing between true and false prophets, true and false disciples, and my favorite passage in chapter 7 is when he instructs his disciples and says, ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened unto you. While Jesus was up in the mountain, he was assuring the mission. He was detailing the job description. He was setting the standards for his disciples. But when he comes down from the mountain in chapter 8, the rigor of his work begins to intensify. Church, listen to me carefully. Get your mission, understand your mission, and accept your mission while you're having your mountaintop experience. But when you come down from the mountain, be ready for ministry to begin. Right now, we are receiving our mission and instructions from God. Every Sunday morning and every Wednesday evening, when you are in the house of the Lord, you are in the mountaintop learning from God. And while in the mountaintop, do these three things, observe, enjoy, and take notes. Observe the beauty of God, enjoy being with God, and take notes having been in the presence of God. But notice what happens when Jesus and his disciples return from the mountain. Those who had stopped following him up the mountain in chapter 5 are some of the same ones that were waiting for him when he got back down to the mountain. They wanted the treats of God, but they didn't want the meat of God's word. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. These were crowds of convenience. But look at verse 2. A man with leprosy knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. See, the life of a leper was limited and filled with shame. And whenever a leper would leave his place, of confinement and enter into a city or a marketplace under the law, he or she was forced to announce his or her arrival by shouting, unclean, unclean, unclean. And we don't know much about this man's background. We don't know anything about his theological position. We don't know much about Uh, how long he suffered from his skin disease. All we know is that he was convinced that Christ had the authority to change his condition. Large crowds flocked, but this man fell. He fell on his knees, appealing to the willingness of God. Hmm. Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. I don't know who I'm speaking to here this morning, but if you are here in the house and you are in need of deliverance because you're tired of being bound, you're bound in your spirit, you're bound by sickness in your body, you're bound by shackles on your mind, you're bound by unhealthy, unproductive relationships, I want you to analyze and study this man's statement with me. And in fact, I want you to say it after me loud and on purpose. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Many of you know and many of you don't know. But our church staff has been really reeling and going through some things. From the pastor on down whole church staff. We've been dealing with sickness. We've been dealing with death. We've been dealing with disease. We've been dealing with family issues and all other challenges. And though I can't speak to everybody's problem, I can tell you about my own. Two weeks ago, I, um, I went to the doctor for a sinus infection. And when I got to the doctor, they gave me a shot, steroid. Then the doctor gave me a steroid pack. And by day three of taking the steroid pack and having the steroid shot in my arm, things got real crazy. I couldn't think straight. My mind was racing 24-7. I was having anxiety attacks all the time. And worst of it all, I could not and still have trouble sleeping at night. Last Saturday was the first night I had slept in four days. And to this day, I'm still struggling trying to get my rest. But A.W. Tozer, this gentleman long ago, he, he said it's doubtful that God can use a man greatly until he's hurt him deeply. And so I have to say on behalf of myself, and on behalf of those who are toiling with me, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. First thing worth noting, brothers and sisters, is that this man's statement. In his statement, he acknowledges that Jesus is Lord. (laughs) In the Greek, Lord means supreme in authority. So at least this man understood the supremacy of Jesus to make his body physically whole. (laughs) Secondly, this man never doubted the ability of Jesus. (laughs) I think about another story in Mark chapter 9. Y'all recall that, that was a young man uh, and he had a son who was demon possessed. His son couldn't talk. He foamed at the mouth and he would become rigid. And, 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 and the disciples couldn't do anything about the situation. He brought him to the disciples, but the disciples couldn't help him, couldn't heal him. And so the man brought his son to Jesus. And by the time he gets to Jesus, he, he's like, you know, Lord, um, you know, if you can do anything, will you please help us? And Jesus looks at the man and says, if, if all things are possible to them that believe. (laughs) But that's not this man's story. He never doubted the ability of Jesus. And thirdly, he made an appeal to the willingness of Jesus to touch his life. Here are the steps again. Pay close attention. Recognize God's authority. Never doubt God's ability. And make your appeal to God's willingness to touch your life. And watch the response in verse 3. Jesus reached out his hand, touched the man, and said, I am willing, be clean. And all throughout the four gospels, we notice the willingness of the master to touch the lives of people. In Matthew chapter 15, he lifted up seven loaves of bread and a few fish and gave thanks to God and fed 4,000 men, not including women and children. In Mark chapter 7, he put his finger in a man's ear, unclogged the man's ear and allowed the man to hear. In Luke chapter 8, he touched the life of a possessed man who lived in a cemetery often bound with chains, and he freed him from a legion of demonic spirits. In John chapter 9, he put clay on a man's eyes and told the man to go and wash, and the man was able to see And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record the willingness of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the King, to die on a hill called Calvary to touch the lives and sinners like me and you. God is willing to teach, but secondly, God is willing to touch. And just like this leper, God is able to touch your situation. Finally, God is willing to transform. Look at the latter part of verse 3 in Matthew chapter 8. Look at how it reads. It says, immediately he was cleansed from leprosy. Jesus redeemed this man from a sentence of death. He redeemed him from physical death. You see, there were different types of leprosy. Some were worse than others, but in the worst form of leprosy, whole body parts could just collapse. Skin tissues would degenerate, disfiguring a person. Large tumors would grow on their body and your nervous system would become damaged. And for many, it was an irreversible disease. Jesus transformed this man's physical body. But then secondly, he redeemed him from relational death. He redeemed him from relational death. Imagine the joy that must have been brought to this man and his family when he came home for the first time. Leprosy, like COVID, was a lonely disease. You were sent away by your family and from your family and friends and forced to live in a colony of other lepers. But when the man came home, he was able to kiss his wife if he had one. He was able to hug his mother and his father. He was able to sit with his children for the first time. He was able to feast with his family. And it must have meant everything to this man. Jesus transformed his relationships. And I believe also, brothers and sisters, that Jesus redeemed him from spiritual death. He had already recognized the supremacy and the authority of Christ to heal him physically, but notice his request. He didn't simply say, make me well. He didn't say, restore my health. He didn't even say, make me whole. The man said, make me clean. And I believe that the cleansing power of Jesus washed right through the man's skin and hit his soul. He did it before. You recall in Mark chapter 2, uh, man had four friends and he was paralytic. And this man's friends opened up the rooftop of somebody's house and lowered the man in front of Jesus. And when the man got in front of Jesus, one of the first words Jesus said was, son, your sins have been forgiven. Amen. And the Pharisees and religious teachers hated Jesus for saying that. And he said, oh, that's blasphemy. You can't say do that. Who You don't have the power to forgive. Only God can forgive sin. Um, but Jesus said, which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? He said, but I'm going to show you that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on earth. In the name of Jesus, he told him to stand up and walk. And when the man stood up and walked, that was also the indication that the man's sins were forgiven. (laughs) And when this man in our story today said, you can make me clean. I believe he knew exactly what he was saying. Brothers and sisters, God is willing to teach us. God is willing to touch us. And God is willing to transform us. Our God is an able God. And the question is, what is it that you need from him? the willingness of God. Is it peace that you need? Our God is willing. Has your joy been stripped from you? It's important to understand that our God is willing. Spiritual transformation. You need to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. It's important to know that our God is, Is willing. But the question is, what's challenging our ability to believe? Is it the stronghold that's been in your life? The stronghold has been relentless and unyielding and is prohibiting you from being able to have the freedom that God has for you? Is it simply that? You know, whatever your situation is, it's always been true. I've always had this problem. I've always been sick. My child has always had this. And does that hinder you from believing that God is willing? It's important for us to know that we not only serve a God who is able, but we serve a God who is willing. How many of us are ready to turn our lives and say, Lord, if you're willing, you can clean me. All heads are bowed. Eyes closed.